Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 172. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. What are you buying? I'm buying video games, Pete. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also buying cheese, but that's irrelevant right now, because what we're talking about is what's going on in the world of Nintendo, and that means we have some game impressions, we have some news, and then we have this week's big topic, which is the best of Nintendo 3DS. Sweet. However, before we get to that, let us kick things off by talking about some of the latest releases, starting with Shakedown Hawaii for the Nintendo Switch. Uh, Yeah, you've been playing this one, right? Yes, indeed I have, and so far I've been enjoying it pretty well. This is a spiritual successor to Retro City Rampage from V-Blank Entertainment, and it's basically a modern take on classic top-down Grand Theft Auto gameplay. Compared to Retro City Rampage, it has more of a 16-bit style when it comes to the visuals instead of an 8-bit style, and there's also much less of an emphasis on parodies, but still a pretty strong emphasis on humor. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah, like, for example, the main character, you play as this frustrated, out-of-touch CEO who is being driven into bankruptcy by, like, all the innovations of the last 20 years, like online shopping and (laughs) video streaming on demand. And in a way, it almost feels too real, like, you know, someone's frustrations were just boiling over with modern life and turned into this game. Yeah, I feel like that's a real story. Yeah, but... Anyway, as far as the gameplay goes, the game is played from an overhead perspective, and you know you play as the CEO trying to rebuild your floundering, nearly bankrupt empire, and that means you know doing anything you can, including committing all kinds of crimes. You're stealing vehicles, and you're acquiring an arsenal of weapons like pistols and baseball bats and Uzis and rocket launchers and flamethrowers, and you're generally unleashing mayhem through a series of missions. All right, and what are the missions like? Well, there's a whole bunch of different missions. You know, sometimes you are you know, stealing cars. Like I said, sometimes you're fighting rival gangs. Sometimes you're just destroying stuff. You can shake down businesses. And to do that, you know, there's all kinds of different mini games. Sometimes you like just, you know, stare down a customer and harass them. And then the customers all leave. And then the business will like, you know, pay you money to leave them alone. Uh, Sometimes the business might drop you into a dungeon. You have to escape the dungeon. (laughs) And then some missions are totally different. Like, you know, you are rezoning part of the city. And so for that, you're kind of just like burning down everything in sight. And sometimes you just change over to a different character who is going on different missions for you. And that just turns into like an all out shooting game in some, you know, crime ridden Republic somewhere. (laughs) Now, have you ever been to Hawaii? Is it very much like that? I have been to Hawaii. It's been a long time. And let me tell you, this really doesn't feel anything like Hawaii. It's really <laughs> more like Shakedown Florida or something. But I'm guessing that maybe he didn't want to seem too much like he was ripping off Hotline Miami or something like that. <laughs> right. right. But no, it really doesn't feel like Hawaii at all. Now, another really interesting thing about the game is that, you know, I remember seeing this in the trailers about how you are doing this whole rebuilding your empire thing. And I kind of thought that was just a story device, but it's actually not. It is not just lip service. When you play the game, you really are acquiring businesses. And like I said, you shake down shops to make them pay you money, and then you can eventually buy them and add them to your empire. So it's not just driving and shooting and destroying. There really is this metagame that ties everything together where you actually do buy the properties. So it's kind of like you know Grand Theft Auto sort of mixed with you know Monopoly or SimCity or oh, something wow. like that, just to describe it in the most superficial way. Yeah, that actually sounds kind of cool. 
Yeah, it really does have this really neat component to it that, like I said, I didn't really expect, even though they have been promoting it that way for a long time. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff to do where you get these businesses. Then you can like you know set up uh, different perks with the businesses. They'll give you you know bonus multipliers, and so you know you're kind of broke at the beginning, and then. As you do all this stuff, you start earning more money, you can buy more businesses, you can take on more different kinds of missions, and just, you know, expand your empire like that. And it really does have a critical and fun gameplay component. Very cool. And as weird as it may sound, it actually kind of reminds me of a really, really violent Harvest Moon. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, in the in a Harvest Moon, you just start out with a small piece of property. You don't really have any money. But then as you keep doing things, you know, your bankroll starts growing. You get access to more revenue streams. You begin raking in the cash. And then you begin expanding exponentially. You get and married. It's kind of the same thing. Uh, no, I don't think so. Your ex-wife is in the game and your kid <laughs> is in the game. And he's actually a playable character. But as far as I know... Uh, you don't get to get married. You just get to, you know, destroy and steal and blow lots of things up. Yeah, that's fair. And, uh, you know, there are some really cool innovations in the game, too. Like, you know, usually in these GTA-style games, whether they're 2D or 3D, you know, there's like, oh, here's your goal. It's off here somewhere, you know, just go northwest, and here it is. And in this game, there are actually waypoints and lines along the roads that show you the best route to get there so you know normally it's like okay i know there's something over here how do i get there i'm just sort of driving towards this arrow but in this game it actually shows you the route to drive which is really really handy i mean for some people it might feel like too much hand holding but i think you can turn that off if you don't like it but the fact that they show you the route instead of just saying hey it's over here you know try to get to it somehow however you can you know it feels like sort of a game changer it's like something that every game of this type should sort of be implementing you know yeah a little like google maps or something in your game yes exactly exactly which is kind of ironic given the game's dislike of uh, you know modern technology like that <laughs> yes you're very much right I will say the game has been a little bit on the easy side so far. It's very generous with checkpoints. Sometimes, you know, I'll die in a room and I'll be like, okay, well, back to the beginning of this mission. But no, I like start right there in that room and I'm very surprised. I'm not very far into it yet. I'm only like 25% of the way in. So we'll see. Maybe the difficulty will ramp up. But that is one thing I've noticed so far. And there are a ton of missions. So, you know, I've played through, like I said, you know, maybe 40 of 150 or 160 missions. There's just lots and lots of stuff in here. The graphics are great. Uh, the music is pretty good as well. The controls are certainly nothing to complain about. Yeah, it's a very solid game. And if you like classic GTA types of games, I think you'll be very happy with it. All right. Well, I'll definitely consider this one. There's also some cool stuff coming in the updates, like in the different shakedowns, apparently there's going to be a new one that lets you give a business a one-star Yelp review, and that will make them panic and uh, start selling out to you. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so the game is uh, pretty cool, great sense of humor, lots of good stuff. All right, cool. But that's not the only thing you've been playing, right? No, it is not. Just earlier today, as we're recording this, the Castlevania Anniversary Collection from Konami came out and hit the Switch. Yeah, I saw that, and I was this close to pulling the trigger. I just didn't do it. Well, it is chock full of Castlevania-y goodness, and if you like Castlevania, it's really hard to go wrong with this collection. If you've forgotten what's in there, let's give the quick rundown. It is the NES games Castlevania, Castlevania II Simon's Quest, and Castlevania III Dracula's Curse, the Super NES game Super Castlevania IV, the Game Boy games Castlevania The Adventure and Castlevania II Belmont's Revenge, the Genesis game at Castlevania Bloodlines, and then, coming to the U.S. for the first time, is the Famicom game at Kid Dracula. 
All right. And have you dove into any of those yet? Well, I haven't played any of them extensively, but yes, I have played at least the first level of all eight of these games, and they are all pretty much still great. The music is fantastic, the level design is generally wonderful, the challenge is pretty high. In some cases, these are the first chances I've had to play these games in ages, like Castlevania II Belmont's Revenge, I don't think, has been re-released on anything since the original Game Boy version, at least here in North America. And neither has Castlevania Bloodlines. You know, it hasn't been available since the Genesis days. Plus, like I said, this is the first Western release of this version of Kid Dracula. The emulation is really solid, except for, like, this weird musical glitch in the second stage of Castlevania 1. I haven't really noticed any problems with the gameplay or the presentation or anything. There's no lag with the controls. And, yeah, it's just really fun to you know, re-experience these games again. Bloodlines has lots of cool, clever effects that i kind of forgotten about were in there. I mean, so does Super Castlevania 4, but that's been available on a lot of different things. Bloodlines actually lets you jump on and off the stairs. Can you believe it? No, I almost can't believe that. Yeah, that's quite some progress for Castlevania. Mm -hmm. And Kid Dracula is fast-paced. It's almost like a shooter because you're constantly attacking with projectiles. You don't have a whip or a sword or anything like that. And uh, just the level design is very different. It is unique. It is interesting. I still kind of feel like Castlevania Dracula X might have been a better choice, but it's certainly fun to be playing this game for the first time. I would say that Castlevania Adventure is probably the weakest link out of these. <laughs> How dare you? It is very sluggish. The second Castlevania Game Boy game is far, far better, but, you know, taken on its own, taken from the time it came out and the system it was on, it's actually fairly decent, I would say. Mm, all right. Of course, there are plenty of options, such as being able to change the display dimensions. You can have frames on or off. You can add scan lines. In the case of the Game Boy games, you can actually make it foggy pea soup green with a dot <laughs> matrix display. All right, I'm in. I mean, it's kind of terrible playing it that way, but it's very, very nostalgic, so it's kind of awesome. <laughs> I bet it would be. And you can create save states for the games, but only one per game. And there are no other types of difficulty options, only whatever is in the game. Uh, and same with the controls. There are no overall control configurations. If the game had a control config, then you can change the controls. But if not, you're kind of just locked into whatever they give you. Right. And I have heard some complaints about that because... You know, the way that they did it, I think, is the best way to do it. You know, the A button is the A button. The B button is the B button when you compare the Switch controller to the NES controller. Yep. But if you're one of those players who really thinks that A and B should be mapped to B and Y, there's no way to change that. You are out of luck unless they patch that in. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm definitely glad to hear that the save states are in. Now that I've gotten kind of spoiled with the NES games on uh, Switch... It's like nice to be able to have that functionality. Even though it's only one, it's still definitely helpful in a game that's hard, like some of the Castlevania titles. Yeah, I mean, some of them have passwords, but some of them, it means, you know, starting over from the beginning every time if there were nothing like that. So, yeah, yeah that's sort of an essential feature to have. There is also a Castlevania digital history book that's included. And that is sort of interesting. I mean, it's not <laughs> bad, but a lot of what I've read so far isn't very insightful. And it feels like it was kind of rushed through production. There are plenty of typos. Um, you know, maybe the issues are just stemming from it being sort of an unpolished translation. It has interviews with some, as they call it, you know, key Castlevania personnel. But the only people interviewed are Michiru Yamane, who was a Castlevania composer, but not for these games. It was only the later games in the series. Oh, weird. And then Adi Shankar, the producer of the Castlevania Netflix series. Hmm. All right. 
I mean, I guess that's kind of neat, but he had nothing to do with these games, so it's like, I guess these are the only people involved with Castlevania that Konami doesn't hate, or something like that. <laughs> Seriously, what's up with that? Yeah, there's just some weird stuff, like, apparently the interviews are conducted by who they say is Konami's current producer of the Castlevania games, but they don't say who that is, so he has no name, so that's just super weird. <laughs> And then there's a section of this digital book called What the Writer Loves About the Series, but we don't know who the writer is. Like, is it someone who worked on the games? Is it some writer for Famitsu? Is it just some random dude? Is it you? We don't know. No one knows. It's not me, unfortunately, but I wish it were. <laughs> the best part of the book, though, is the 30 pages of design archives. It has lots of sketches and information about the making of the games. There's a lot of unused concept material. It's really interesting to look at this stuff and see some of the items and weapons and characters that were never actually implemented in the game. So that is really neat, despite some of the other flaws in this extra material. That is cool. So uh, overall, what would you give it? I mean, I'm very happy with this collection. I love the Castlevania games. You know, Super Castlevania 4 is probably my favorite of this group. I mean, they're all really fun. I have a strange love for Simon's Quest more than most people. Castlevania 3 is really great. It's fantastic playing Bloodlines again. I mean, I don't know if I can put a numerical score on this because it depends so much on your love for classic gaming, but I would certainly give it a recommended and say, you know, if you love Castlevania, or even if you've ever been curious about Castlevania, pick this up. It's a fantastic series. It's a great collection. And Konami says they'll even be updating it so it will include both the Western and the Japanese versions of these games. Oh, wow. So once that happens, it'll be even better than it is now. So, yeah, I think it's excellent. A great way to spend 20 bucks. Well, Chris, this is a Power Pros first, but I literally bought it while you were talking. So <laughs> nicely done. All right. Excellent. Thanks. We had a, a live buying here. <laughs> or was it a dead buying? <laughs> an undead buying. I see what you did there. <laughs> nice. Well, moving along, but continuing to discuss classic re-releases, there's also been a new batch of NES classics released for Nintendo Switch Online. Pete, have you had a chance to play any of these yet? I have. Um, not all of them, but the ones that I wanted to play. Okay. And that lineup includes Donkey Kong Jr., Clue Clue Land, Versus Excite Bike, and the SP version of Star Soldier. Which ones have you played? What are your thoughts? Well, I played a little Clue Clue Land. Ah, really? That was a game you actually wanted to play, huh? <laughs> Most people don't play that one willingly. Are you familiar with Clue Clue Land at all? A little. I've played it in the past, and I played it a bunch in this version. I mean, more than I have before, which means probably you know, I played it for half an hour or something. Maybe less. It is definitely a game that takes some getting used to. Right when you jump in, it's like, this game is terrible. The <laughs> controls are terrible. The concept isn't good. It's sort of a Pac-Man ripoff, totally. but with some hard-to-understand ideas. It's a weird game. Yeah, it really is. And, and the, the control concept for that time was really bizarre, too. Like, yes. you know, instead of going left and right on a whim, you're basically controlling which arm you put out to grab a peg. Right. And then you spin around this peg, and it's like, okay, now I have to figure out which direction to go, let go at the right time. And, Oops, I shot off the wrong way, I went through a portal, now I'm dead, oh well. Yeah, it's definitely a bizarro world game. I didn't really get that familiar with this game until around the e-reader launch. Ah, uh, okay. Which I know sounds funny, but it just, you know, for some reason it escaped my grasp as a lad. And playing it during the e-reader launch, though, I kind of did develop a respect for this game it's not mm. easy no it's not but yeah i can't imagine it's mostly to do with these overly complicated controls i would say <laughs> yeah it really it really is but that being said you know kind of is what makes cuckoo land cuckoo land 
Well, personally, it is not one I've been looking forward to. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I guess it's an acquired taste. Personally, I have not acquired that taste yet. But uh, hey, if you like it, uh, more power to you. Well, I'm not going to be spending a lot of time playing it, but I am glad to see it there. On the other hand, I did enjoy playing Donkey Kong Jr. You know, obviously, that one is a timeless classic. And Donkey Kong Jr., I think, feels a little more fair, more pick up and play than the original Donkey Kong. I mean, there's so many times in the original Donkey Kong where I get into situations where it's just like, oh crap, there's nothing I can do, I'm dead. And I rarely feel that way playing Donkey Kong Jr. Right, it's a little bit more forgiving. Yeah. Remind me, Donkey Kong Jr. is kind of the one where you are basically trying to free your father, Donkey Kong, from Mario's evil grasp. Yeah, that's one of the most interesting things about the game. You know, Mario is actually the antagonist, and when you beat the fourth level, then Mario, like, falls from the sky and, you know, lands on his head, and <laughs> <laughs> I guess that restores him back to his heroic good self again. Right. Now, this game is much better than Donkey Kong Jr. Math, I can tell you that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever played Donkey Kong Jr. Math, so I will take your word for it. But yeah, you know, this is definitely very much an old-school classic, but yeah, it still holds up after all this time. Cool. And then that brings us to uh, Versus Excite Bike. Yes, which, despite the name, it's basically Excite Bike 2. It's pretty much a straight-up sequel to the original Excite Bike. Yeah, it really is, it, and it definitely differs from the original Excite Bike on NES as far as pretty much all aspects. Right, exactly. But it is for the better. I mean, I think mostly there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Like, you can play like a kind of a mini split-screen two-player mode. Yep. Haven't really dabbled into all of those uh, aspects, but you can also do a level editor. It was originally like a uh, Famicom Disk System game, right? Yeah, that's correct, which means it had not been released in North America until just a few years ago on modern systems. We never got it way back in the day during the NES era. You know, there's not a ton of differences, but there definitely is, if you're familiar with the original Excitebike, there's definitely a lot of stuff you'll notice that is slightly different. Some of that is the music, some of that is there's like load times in the menus, which is really bizarre. <laughs> well, that happens with those disk system games, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I can ever remember an NES game that just said now loading across the screen. Well, there were definitely some other ones for the Famicom disk system, but yeah, it's certainly uncommon to see. But in general, I feel like this is probably, you know, the better version to get. And I think that, you know, anyone looking to play more uh, two-player games, this is definitely nice to have. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We should uh, duke it out online sometime. <laughs> and I'm actually not sure anyone really saw this coming. Yeah, I certainly didn't. I just thought uh, you know, there might be like a SP version of Excitebike or something. Well, not yet, but yeah, we got this. Um, speaking of the SP versions, though, yes, we do have also Star Soldier SP running out the lineup. And I played that a little bit, and I pretty much just, you know, died immediately. <laughs> you start halfway through the game, and it's like, you know, if you can get halfway through the game, you can probably keep on playing the game. If you can't get to this point already, you're probably just going to die right away. <laughs> Even though you're fully powered up, and you have a lot of good weapons, and you have a shield, the enemies are very fast and very relentless, and it's hard to tell which things will kill you instantly and which things will not. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, even... Being the souped-up SP version, it's still a super challenging game. I don't see myself playing a whole lot more of this. But, um, hey, I guess it's good to have. I'm pretty sure that no one asked for this. <laughs> no one in America, probably. Maybe it's a big <laughs> hit in Japan or something. I don't know. Anyway, I certainly wouldn't call these my favorite NES games. These are a little older and more archaic than what I really like to play on the NES. But it's always appreciated to have more titles added to the NES Classics lineup. Yeah, certainly better than dirt down your pants. <laughs> For sure. 
Now, that takes care of all of our game impressions for this week, but we do have some other impressions to share, those being our impressions of the recently released Detective Pikachu movie. Oh, man. Boy, do we ever. Yeah, yeah. Both of us separately went out and uh, saw the movie in the theater, and uh, I guess it's time for us to pull a little Siskel Niebert action, huh? <laughs> I feel like you were with me in spirit. Oh, you know it. <laughs> All right, so Chris, I think we're coming at it kind of from different angles. You have played the Detective Pikachu game, correct? I have. I have indeed. I played that all the way through to completion, so I certainly have some thoughts on how the adaptation compares to the original source material. I mean, before I get to that, though, I do think it was just, you know, a solid movie that treats the subject matter with respect. You know, we've seen how the movies are treating Sonic, apparently, <laughs> and it's just totally out there. It doesn't really seem to know what the heck Sonic the Hedgehog is, but this just totally embraces it. There is no wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, this is kind of weird, but no, this is just totally full-on, absolute Pokemon, and I look forward to looking at the Blu-ray when it comes out so I can just, like, check it out and pause it and slow motion it and just look at all the details and all the stuff in the backgrounds, all the signs, all the different characters are just running around and all this stuff that's going on. I mean, that's something I loved about the game, too, is that it just showed this world sort of immersed in Pokemon. It's like, oh, this is how things go on in day-to-day life. Just all these Pokemon are everywhere. And they really did a good job of doing that in the movie, I think. Yeah, I think, hands down, that is the best part of this movie is just being able to, like, kind of observe some of these scenes and, like, just looking Mm -hmm. for the Pokemon that are walking around. It definitely occurs throughout the movie, but I feel like in the beginning especially, there's just some scenes where you're like, wow, there's probably stuff I'm not even seeing here because I can't zoom in or stop it right right but definitely really cool how they implemented you know pokemon into the real world yeah for sure and i thought that ryan reynolds did a great job playing pikachu (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean he like you know a lot of people can say that it's like uh you know pikachu's basically deadpool which i think there was a little bit of that but honestly it felt like a different character and there was a lot of I i felt like there was some like more heart than you got from like the deadpool character yeah i think that's fair to say I also thought that Justice Smith did a fine job as the main character. Um, there were a lot of funny moments throughout the movie involving, you know, both characters. You know, I'm not so sure about the girl that played Lucy. <laughs> she kind of seemed like she was, I don't know, like a little kid trying to pretend to be an adult. It just came across as kind of weird to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely hear what you're saying. I think Justice Smith, like you said, I think he was kind of pitch perfect for this. Mm -hmm. And you can say Ryan Reynolds really carried the movie. But at the same time, the beginning, before you even kind of get to Detective Pikachu, there are some funny moments that uh, I thought were pretty cool. That's true. But yes, the girl, the main actress, I am not remembering her name right now, did kind of strike me as uh, definitely a little bit of a forced character. You know, but I, I feel like in general, you know, that probably was... It was less about her acting and more about the decision to put a character like that in the movie. Yeah, perhaps so. Perhaps so. But anyway, yeah, moving along to you know what they did and didn't adapt from the game, I would say this felt like maybe, you know, at most 50% based on the game. Like, the general plot is definitely the same. You know, Tim Goodman is the main character. His father has disappeared and is presumed dead. And so... Tim teams up with this coffee-drinking, smart-talking Pikachu, who is a detective, (laughs) and they meet a fledgling reporter named Lucy, and there is this strange Argas that's been developed from Mewtwo, and it sort of makes Pokemon go crazy. All that stuff is there in the game. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
And a lot of the game locations made into the movie too. Like for instance, the first case actually does involve these out of control A-POMs. It's not at all like it is in the movie <laughs> and Tim does not lose his pants in the game, <laughs> but uh, all that stuff for the A-POMs is more or less in there. There's a whole area set in a lab. There's another part set at the docks. And the final episode of the game does indeed take place during a parade. All right. All right. Cool. There is also a part with a vicious out-of-control Charizard, but it's in a abandoned theme park, not in a battle arena. The battle arena isn't actually in the game at all. All right. And I assume Diplo isn't in the game either. Uh, no, unfortunately he was not. But yeah, most of the stuff that takes place in the lab is completely different. And the part after the lab with the giant Torteras, that is also totally new. <laughs> yeah, to me that was a little bizarre, and I don't, you know, I hope we're not spoiling anything, but it just felt weird that that was like kind of all they did was show themselves and then just disappear again. <laughs> also, yeah, I don't know how the car survived that, but, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, movie magic. But, you know, more importantly, in the game, Tim actually does want to be a detective, and... There are many other aspects of the game that didn't make it in. Like there's a whole episode on a cruise ship and a whole episode set in a cave. And, you know, I didn't expect everything from the game to make it in, but I kind of thought those set pieces would be incorporated in some way. Like there would be some part where they're on a ship or like when the Torteras were going crazy, like, oh, they're going to fall into the cave and we'll sort of have that cave scene now, but that didn't happen. So yeah, those are some things that just did not make it in there at all. Hmm. And then more importantly, the villain is actually totally different and the ending is completely different as well oh wow i wouldn't expect that at all i kind of assumed that they probably had similar endings yeah i mean that whole evil plot at the end without getting you know, too spoilery that whole evil plot just isn't there there is a plot to just unleash gas and make the pokemon go on a rampage but nothing beyond that in the game and you know even more significantly the mysteries about tim's dad and why pikachu can talk are not fully resolved in the game if you believe it or not oh yeah, yeah, because that was definitely like one of the biggest plot points of the movie. Yeah, and you know, the result is strongly hinted at in the game, but in the game you don't really get a full explanation, and Pikachu makes this critical choice that made it really feel like they were setting up for a sequel rather than resolving everything like the movie did. So, you know, in that regard, the movie finale is actually a lot stronger and more satisfying, I would say. Hmm. All right, fair enough. Yeah, so, you know, overall, my thoughts are this movie is pretty decent, and even though the bar is fairly low, it is probably one of the better game-to-live-action movie adaptations out there. Totally, and for me personally, I feel like that is partially because they didn't try and follow the main series and have, like, this, you know, Ash on his journey through the final four. <laughs> right, right. Um, it feels good that they kind of did this you know, explored a side story in the Pokemon world. Mm -hmm. But I agree. I think, you know, same thing. I think I would say this is probably one of the best video game to live action movie translations. I think, you know, there's still some room to improve. And I don't know how well this movie translates to somebody who's not into video games at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. I kept trying to think about that. And I just I wouldn't even recommend it, I don't think. But I really enjoyed it. And I would probably end up buying this movie when it comes out. Yeah, I feel like I very well may do the same thing just Again, like I said, so I could watch all this stuff and pause it and pick out all the little details that I didn't really get to see everything the first time through. So, yeah, it's definitely very solid. Cool. I want to catch them all. All right. Well, sounds like two thumbs up. <laughs> pika pika. Let us move along then. Talk about a little bit of news. Probably the biggest thing in the news this week is that Nintendo had a little bit of a Nintendo Direct to just discuss all the new features of Super Mario Maker 2. 
Yeah, who even knew this was needed? Well, I guess Nintendo did, and it seems like a lot of people watched it, and it seemed like it went over pretty well. Yeah, there's lots of info there. Some of it was stuff we knew, a lot of it we didn't know. But I'm wondering, Pete, out of all that stuff they talked about, what stood out the most to you? Well, you know, obviously, I think that the new story mode was probably the most interesting aspect of what they talked about. Yeah, I think I would have to agree. And, you know, I certainly expected there was going to be some sort of single player content, but I really didn't expect it to be bigger or better or more than what we got in the previous Mario Maker game. But that's actually not the case. There's this whole story scenario where you're rebuilding Peach's castle and talking with NPCs and you get to play through like a hundred different levels, which just seems like, you know, that's a lot. That's nuts. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I was, I guess I was just assuming I was going to buy this game anyway, but now, <laughs> right, now that too. there's these, uh, you know, extra single player content, it actually, I feel like it ups the, you know, the value. Oh yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. And being able to play through these 100 missions should really be a fun way to learn about level design and find out all kinds of interesting creative things you can do you know, when you're making your own levels. I also just love the concept of this story because you know Bowser is always attacking and destroying parts of the castle, <laughs> so it really does make sense that Mario and friends would someday have to be like, yep, got to rebuild this thing, it got destroyed by <laughs> Bowser again, so I think that's kind of brilliant. Yeah, it actually makes you wonder that they, you know, they must have left some things on the uh, cutting room floor when they put out the original Mario Maker. You know, maybe this is kind of, they probably had ideas while they're making the first one that kind of made it into this one. Well, perhaps, who knows? There certainly are plenty of new ideas. Another major announcement was these new course themes. And, you know, we did know about the desert theme already, but it turns out there was also a snow theme, a forest theme, and a sky theme. And just as exciting as having these themes themselves, is the fact that all of them come with brand new music by Koji Kondo himself. Yeah, that is pretty amazing. Yeah, it is 2019. We're getting brand new, you know, Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario World music from Koji Kondo. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then another thing that really stands out is these night versions of all the courses. You know, that moon is going to be out there, and you can select that, and that changes the courses from day to night. And it's like, okay, sure, black background, that's great. But then they add all of these special effects to all the levels that, you know, are things that really have not been in Mario games before. They don't really make sense when you think about it, but (laughs) it's still pretty cool you can do this. You know, on the ground levels, you have floating Goombas. The underground levels, it turns everything upside down, which is awesome because it's a gameplay gimmick I've always enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Not in Mario games usually, but (laughs) in other games. In the ghost house, everything is in shadows except for the spotlight on your character. In the sky stages, you get low gravity where you sort of float. You get a sandstorm in the desert stages. You get extra slippery snow levels. And you get poison water in the forest. And then, you know, the items change as well. So you get poison mushrooms and stuff. So it really, really changes things up and adds all sorts of creative possibilities I never would have expected to have in the game. Yeah, and it feels like they're just packing everything in here. Like, what else is left? Yeah, for sure. They're even including multiplayer. There's four-player co-op and four-player versus. You can get to be Mario, Luigi, Toad, or Toadette and play with or against other players in randomly selected courses online. Perhaps even more important is the fact that you can create with another player locally. That's certainly cool. Yeah, that actually is a pretty cool feature. Now, unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be the one co-op feature I really wanted, which was online collaboration, because one thing I really wanted to have in the game was like to be able to, you know 
pass my level back and forth with a friend on the line. Like, you know, have my friends sort of beta test my levels before I make them public to everybody. And so, you know, I thought just, you know, having online co-op creation would be really, really cool for that reason. I don't know. Maybe it is still in there. They just haven't announced it. Maybe it's something that could come later. Or maybe it's not in there at all. But, you know, I suppose having local cooperative creativity is better than none at all. Now, would you have a friend or a nemesis help you build your levels? Uh, definitely both. I want to see you suffer, so I give you the hard ones. <laughs> now, did you also see that the Angry Sun from Super Mario Bros. 3 is back? Yeah, absolutely. That's something they had shown, I think, a while back. But, yeah, it's just part of this whole massive list of additions to the games. You know, slopes, snake block, on-off switch, uh, seesaws, adjustable water or lava within the levels, custom auto-scrolling, you know, the bonsai bill, the dry bones shell, these 10 coin or 30 or 50 coin pieces you can collect, new sound effects, twisters, icicles, uh, the fire-breathing Yoshi, parachutes, diagonal conveyor belts, boom boom, just uh, all kinds of things that uh, you know, can really add to the enjoyment of the levels. The ones, I guess, when it comes to these you know, little pieces and things that really stood out to me, are the swinging claw. I mean, I don't remember if there was a swinging claw in any other Mario game, <laughs> but, you know, it's basically like a, a grappling hook or kind of like a vine you can use. That sounds like it'll have some really, really interesting possibilities. I'm also very excited about the scroll stop that you can use to put hidden areas in the game. Like, I would have really liked to have done that in the original Super Mario Maker. You know, I wouldn't have, like, oh, here's a hidden room up above, but people can actually see it because the screen always scrolls. So that's definitely a nice thing to have. Uh, the vertical sub areas that you can use, you know, when you go down a pipe or whatever, seems really, really cool and seems like a great way to add variety to your stages. And uh, stage clear conditions where you can set being a level having to do with the number of coins you've collected or defeating all the enemies or, you know, having a certain status for your character or like even reaching the goal without touching the ground and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, lots of very, very interesting possibilities here. Yeah, this game went from being like a must buy to like a I can't believe uh, I have to buy this game for me. <laughs> yeah, there's some very, very cool things in here. And let's not forget about the Super Mario 3D World stuff either. Now, it was kind of illuminating to find out it is considered an extra game style that's not compatible with the other styles. Because I was kind of wondering about them. Like, man, are they going to take these you know 3D bonsai bills and trends like that into like Super Mario Brothers 3 style? Are they going to have the cat suit in <laughs> Super Mario World and original Super Mario Brothers? No, yeah. the answer is no. It stands alone. But uh, yeah, lots of very cool stuff here as well. Crates and clear pipes and warp boxes. The aforementioned cat suit. Spike blocks, blinking blocks that, uh, you know, disappear and reappear with a certain timing. This mushroom trampoline, the big old piranha creeper, <laughs> the mouse enemies, and the Koopa car. I don't remember the Koopa car being in Super Mario 3D World, but that's really cool to have in there. That you can just sort of do a Mario Kart cart and drive through the stages. Yeah, I mean, all of that is pretty, pretty crazy. And even Cat Bowser is in there. Yeah, who doesn't remember a Cat Bowser? <laughs> Gotta love Cat Bowser, or Meowser, as I think they call him. <laughs> uh, incidentally, you know, there does seem to be space on the menu screen for at least one more extra game style that, you know, doesn't gel with the others. I mean, it does say extra game styles with an S. So if there is another one, Pete, what do you think it should be, or what would you like it to be? Hmm. Hmm. Now, if I said Mario 64, would that be a problem? Well, I mean... 
It would be kind of weird since it would still be 2D, presumably, kind of like they're doing with Super Mario 3D World. I mean, even though it's called 3D World, it actually still plays in 2D. So, you know, if they did that with Mario 64, I'm not quite sure how it would work. I'm kind of expecting something that has like a different gameplay style compared to everything else. So like, you know, in my heart, I would love it to be Super Mario Brothers 2 because I love Super Mario Brothers 2. It's a great game and it has completely different mechanics. I don't think it'll happen because, you know, in Japan especially, that's like, you know, the red-bearded stepchild, and they sort of don't even acknowledge it exists, but that would be awesome. If I were going to say one that's more likely, I would say Yoshi's Island, because that has such an awesome graphical style, but still is more of a traditional Mario-type platformer, and uh, could have some really cool possibilities and amazing visuals incorporated into a Mario Maker game. Right, and then, of course, they could always dabble into the Game Boy games. Of yeah. course, specifically Super Mario Land 2, which, you know, the sky's the limit with all the things they could plug in. Right, right. Although, I feel like something like Super Mario Land, Super Mario Land 2, I think that would fit better with the existing styles than being an all-new style, because the gameplay doesn't really change that radically, you know? All they really have to do is put things in black and white, for the most part. Yeah, I just think some of the elements from those games would be funny to pull into the other styles of Mario. So, like, let's say you place a boss from Super Mario Land 2, and then all of a sudden he's in the NES version and Super NES version. Uh, maybe, but you know, they've been doing that with the other four versions where they're you know taking characters that first existed in Mario World and retrofitting them to go into Super Mario Brothers 3 or Super Mario 1 style. And I feel like they could do that pretty darn well just with the Game Boy stuff. I do agree, though, that seeing a Game Boy visual style would be a really appreciated addition to this game. At least we can agree on that, Nemi Cakes. <laughs> Indeed. There will, of course, be plenty of online features in this game. You'll actually be able to leave comments. It'll basically have its own version of Miiverse to emulate what the first game offered. I do kind of hope there is a way to disable the crappy, ultra-hard troll levels that were in the first Mario Maker, <laughs> and they would always pop up if you're playing the hard mode. And, you know, the worst thing about that was that they were tied to unlockables. It's like, oh, you have to beat these ultra-hard levels to unlock these last few things, but they were impossible because the levels were all garbage. So I'm hoping there's at least a way you can tag these levels and say, this is a crappy troll level. Please take it down. Don't make anyone play it ever again. <laughs> you make a lot of those, don't you? Ah, I do not. Don't blame me. If anything, I make main levels too easy. <laughs> anyway, it's great to learn all the stuff about the game. Obviously, we don't know everything yet. I think there is still more stuff to be learned. Hopefully, there is another extra style. But beyond that, is there anything that you feel is missing from the game that you would still like to see them introduce? Honestly, at this point, I feel like they've covered a lot. I mean, the only other thing I could see is maybe adding some of the, like, the random power-ups, or as you mentioned, Super Mario Brothers 2, you know, more of that. Like, I'd love to be able to throw some of those characters in, but... Uh, throw, I see what you did there, yeah. <laughs> but they are almost hitting everything now. What about you? Well, like you said, more power-ups I think would be nice, like the frog suit or the hammer suit or the tanuki suit, things like that would be cool. Yep. Also, you know... After watching this whole presentation, I've noticed they've said nothing about Amiibo functionality. So <laughs> it kind of looks like the 8-bit costumes from the previous game are not going to be in there. That's kind of a bummer. Um, so either I'd like to see that be introduced or maybe have some other Amiibo functionality in there if they can't. You've always got one eye on the Amiibos. <laughs> Indeed, I do. Also, there's no way to import existing levels from the first Mario Maker, which I thought would have been really cool as well. But who knows, maybe this stuff will come in a later update, maybe it hasn't been revealed yet. I think there's definitely more to learn about this game uh, between now and when it comes out at the end of June. Yeah, definitely a welcome addition to the Switch lineup. And I wouldn't be surprised 
if we find out more about the game when they have this Super Mario Maker 2 Invitational, which is being held just before E3. That's on June 8th. They'll be showing off the game in action. They'll be having people play through levels created in Super Mario Maker 2. And uh, sounds like it'll be a fun time for all. Probably see some very challenging stages and some expert gameplay. Uh, are you going to enter? Well, it's an Invitational, so that's kind of up to Nintendo. My <laughs> guess would be absolutely not. <laughs> Well, I've invited you. <laughs> okay, I'm sure that counts. <laughs> mm, probably not. Okay, well, moving along then, there's one other thing I want to talk about in news this week. This is another game I'm looking forward to coming out on Switch this summer. And that is uh, from the folks over at Capcom. They tweeted out that Devil May Cry is coming out on Switch. Yeah, and this made me think, wow, you were pretty maybe spot on the money with the Smash Brothers character suggestion well yeah that remains to be seen but yes last week we were saying hmm dante hasn't been on nintendo systems before really outside of a few games where we just sort of a, a guest character but yeah that's totally changing now we are getting the original devil may cry and um you know that was an excellent game it certainly perhaps opened the doors for a lot of things but really it's just great to finally see the game on a Nintendo system, sort of following in the footsteps of Onimusha of having some of these great Capcom PS2 era IPs making the jump over to Nintendo. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm still loving Dragon's Dogma. I feel like please, please send as many Capcom classics as you can. Yeah, for sure. Are you going to pick up Devil May Cry, do you think? I might. I, You know, I, I also feel like I need to play the Bayonetta series. Still haven't dabbled into that, but it's definitely on my list. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm not sure myself. I think if I were going to play more Devil May Cry, I'm more likely to play Devil May Cry 4 or 5 on other systems. But regardless, it's great to see it coming. I'm sure it's going to open the doors to a whole new audience. Yep, the more the merrier. Indeed. Well, that takes care of our news for this week, and so I think it is time for us to take an intermission, and then when um, we come back, we'll discuss... Is there some problem, Pete? Yeah, I, I don't think so, buddy. Why is that? You gotta go get your shoes shined or something? Guess again, muchacho. Um, you're gonna make margaritas? <laughs> you wish. You're gonna drink some milk? No, not a chance. It's time to hassle the Hoff. Ah, yeah, I should have known that. Okay, all right, if that's the case, why don't we get this over with? Let's go ahead. What do you got for me this week? All right, Video Game Professor Hoffman. Yes? You've heard of Nintendo announcing these uh, game vouchers. Hmm. Yes, I have. <laughs> with your two vouchers, which games would you pick up? What do I do with the vouchers? Huh. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, you know, I have heard about the voucher program. It's a way to get basically... $120 worth of games for just 100 bucks. Download only, of course. You know, I'm not a download-only guy, mostly because my memory card space fills up too fast. And so I'm not personally planning to do this. I already have most of the games that, you know, I want to have on the system. So if I were going to do this, and I were, you know, hypothetically going to use this opportunity I think it would be not games that are currently out there now, but I would save it for games that are not out yet. One of them would absolutely be the new Animal Crossing game, because that, I feel like, is a game that, if I were going to buy a game digitally, that would be the one, because it's going to be one I'm going to want to have in my system all the time, 
and just play for, you know, 20 minutes a day or something yeah. and not really have to take it out and swap in the cartridge every day for whatever else I'm playing. Right. So that would absolutely be one of them. Okay. As for the second one, hmm, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways to go. Perhaps I would get Fire Emblem Three Houses because if I went ahead and bought that game digitally, that would stop me from making the foolish mistake of spending all that extra money on the collector's edition. <laughs> nice. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different choices. Mario Maker 2 wouldn't be a bad choice if you, you know, don't have a lot of the great games that are currently out there on the system and you know, you were to do this program, I think there are a lot of amazing choices. But yeah, for me personally, Fire Emblem and Animal Crossing. Yeah, those are good. I think I would go with uh, Mario Maker 2 and uh, Animal Crossing as well. Okay. All right. Nicely done, Nemi. I'm glad you think so. Yeah, all right. Now let's go to break. Yes, indeed. We will take our intermission, and then when we come back, we'll discuss this week's big topic, the best of Nintendo 3DS. We are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is the best of Nintendo 3DS. That's right. You know, for all intents and purposes, it feels like the 3DS is really kind of in its last hurrah. Yeah, I mean, Nintendo was talking about this recently in their financials, and they basically revealed that they don't have any future plans for more 3DS games. So the bad news is, for all intents and purposes, the 3DS is dead. (laughs) Right. But... We still have a treasure trove of games that we, you know, are still left with if as long as you own the console. Right, exactly. That is the good news is it ended up being one of Nintendo's greatest systems and there is tons of good stuff. And you know, we should say that the system isn't totally gone yet. There's still a few more third-party games on the way, but yes, it is indeed on its last legs and with Switch having been out for more than 2 years already, it's really lasted longer than I ever would have expected. So, congratulations for the 3DS holding out even this long. But yeah, with that said, the end is in sight, so it does seem like a good time for us to, rather than being sad, to celebrate this excellent system and count down the top 30 games that are out there for Nintendo 3DS. Mm-hmm. And we should say, this is mostly focusing on original games. We're trying to avoid things that were more or less direct ports or classic compilations. You know, remakes are okay, but uh, we're kind of trying to keep that in mind as we came up with this list. Anyway, 30 games is a lot of tiles to cover, so let's just jump right in and start with number 30, which is Pocket Card Jockey. Now, now, this one was one that really stood out to me that, you know, I feel like when the 3DS is said and done, this game 
shined and it really deserves a place on this top list. Now if you haven't played it, it was made by Game Freak, which is really rare because Game Freak doesn't make a lot of games outside Pokemon. That's right. But essentially it's this really bizarro minigame that is like basically solitaire meets horse racing. Horse racing, yeah. Which, Which makes no sense, but when you play it, it's super addictive. Yeah, it's not what you'd expect at all, but uh, it's different, it's innovative, and uh, it's a whole lot of fun. Yeah, and there's actually like a really compelling story mode that uh, I have yet to finish, but someday I want to go back to it. Okay, good luck with that. (laughs) Next on the list at number 29 is Resident Evil Revelations. Yeah, now this game was the one that actually kind of inspired that extra add-on where it gave you like a second analog stick, just so you could kind of play it in true Resident Evil style. (laughs) Yeah, that was definitely useful to have when playing this game. But, you know, another big thing about this game is it was kind of the true return of Resident Evil to Nintendo systems after a long, long time. I mean, we had already gotten Mercenaries 3D, but this really brought the series back to its classic survival horror roots and gave 3DS owners a brand new original adventure to be terrified by and be proud of. Yeah, it's true. And it looked great, too. Yeah, for sure. Coming in next at number 28 is Star Fox 64 3D, which indeed does take the N64 classic and gives us a enhanced, polished, even better version of one of the greatest shooters of all time. Yeah, this game really stands out in my mind because of the branching paths and, uh, you know, just being able to play that on your 3DS and and being able to kind of explore all of the Lilat system Mm -hmm. was really a nice addition to the library. Yes, and it stands out to me because of the appearance of Pedo Raccoon. (laughs) You're a weirdo. Never forget Pedo Raccoon. You're a Pedo Raccoon. I'm not a Pedo Raccoon. You're a Pedo Raccoon. (laughs) All right. Moving along, number 27, Bye Bye Box Boy. Yeah, now this one just had a Switch release. Well, it has a sequel on Switch, but yeah, there were three Box Boy games on 3DS, and I would say that Bye Bye Box Boy is the best one. I mean, Hal managed to create this fantastic, charming, minimalist little puzzle series for 3DS, and it's super addictive, it's lots of fun, and I'm glad to see it living on. Yes, and I hope we continue to see it uh, make its way into Switch and future consoles. Yeah, that'd be great. It's a series that deserves a long, long life. Next, at number 26, we have Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy. The Final Fantasy series is known for some amazing, amazing music, and this game capitalizes on that fact and does indeed turn it into a music game. I mean, you could say that the follow-up Theater Rhythm Curtain Call is even better because it has even more tunes and branches out into a wider variety of games. But the original game, I think, had a better story mode, so that's why we are giving that one the nod on this list. Yeah, this game is definitely cool, and if you're into rhythm games at all, give this one a shot. Yeah, for sure. I think there's even still a demo up on the eShop if you want to give it a try. That's right. That's how I played it. Next, at number 25, Zeodrifter. Yeah, this game feels like a minimalist throwback of basically the Metroid concept, but in every possible good way, and it pays real homage to the Metroid series, I think, and kind of takes on a life of its own as you uh, collect power-ups and jump from planet to planet. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. I always call it Metroid Light. It's short, but it's sweet. It really pulls you in, and it has, I think, some really, really great use of 3D. So, yeah, this is definitely one that everyone should play. Coming in at number 24 is Fire Emblem Fates. 
Yes, indeed, which was released in not one, but three versions. Uh, Fire Emblem rarely disappoints, and this was perhaps the series' most ambitious entry yet. We had the Conquest, Birthright, and Revelation versions, which gave us some very complex scenarios, tons of characters, deep combat like you would expect from the series, and then all the extras like managing a headquarters and building relationships between characters. Uh, and this version of Fire Emblem even introduced things like uh, same-sex marriages. Yeah, this one definitely stands out in my mind as, uh, you know, just kind of a cool spinoff where, where they actually allowed you to, you know, kind of see the same story from a couple different viewpoints. Yeah, for sure. So one of the more interesting entries to the series, I think. I think that is definitely fair to say. Coming in at number 23, Rhythm Thief and the Emperor's Treasure. Yeah, this is a very cool game from Sega. I would certainly consider it an overlooked gem. It is a story-based rhythm action game with its own very unique, distinctive style, several types of rhythm gameplay, and a timeless musical hook. It doesn't really sound like anything else that's out there. I think it's a great game, and it's kind of criminal that more people have not played it. Get it? Criminal, because he's a thief. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Number 22, Kid Icarus Uprising. Yes, the Kid Icarus sequel that had been wanted for a long, long time, finally reviving that series. The thing that really stands out to me about it is just how well-written and humorous it is, but there are lots of other things to enjoy about this game as well. Yeah, Sakurai's humor definitely comes through in spades in this one, along with all the you know added bonuses. It's like you know, kind of like Smash Brothers. It's just like here, take some power ups, and here, take some weapons, and you know, then there's this whole like card aspect with it as well. This game just has tons and tons of stuff, and as you said, it's funny and uh, the story is really compelling as well. Yeah, it was a great way to bring back a classic. Number twenty one, The Legend of Zelda. Majora's Mask 3D. Yeah, I mean, it kind of seems like a no-brainer. The Legend of Zelda series always delivers, and, you know, this one is no different. It took what we knew of the original Majora's Mask, you know, transforming Link, being able to turn into a Goron and a Deku and a Zora, and it just sort of, you know, took it to the next level with the 3DS version, making it look better, adding a few extra gameplay elements, and making it basically a must-have for the system. It's different, it's somber, and it's an excellent game. Yeah, for anyone not having played Majora's Mask, especially on the N64, the 3DS was a must-have, and anyone who's played it understands that the mechanic of this game is completely different from almost any other Zelda. But this game totally takes its place alongside some of the best that Zelda has to offer. Yep, absolutely. So next we have a new Super Mario Bros. 2. Yeah, the name of this game was uh, Coin Collecting. For some reason, Mario had never really explored the idea of just collecting all the coins you possibly could, but that really was more the incentive than even finishing a level. Kind of. I mean, I kind of feel like that was overplayed. I mean, yes, that was certainly part of it, but ultimately, the game is a lot more than just that gimmick. When it comes down to it, it's just a really well-designed platformer with great levels and boss battles and all the other good stuff we've come to expect from 2D Mario. Absolutely. Then, coming in at number 19, we have Professor Layton and the Azran Legacy. I would say this is easily the best 3DS entry in the Professor Layton series. It has a very epic scope where you're traveling all around the world to solve puzzles and interact with goofy characters. And, you know, it does both of those things very well. It wraps up the Professor Layton second trilogy excellently, and it pretty much just delivers on all fronts. It also features Professor Layton 
dressing up like a duck. <laughs> so uh, keep that in mind as well. <laughs> Professor Layton was definitely a 3DS mainstay, and uh, I'm glad to see him on this list. Yeah, wouldn't have it any other way. At 18, we have Sonic Generations. This was a very interesting game in that it sort of combined classic Sonic and modern Sonic, but in the case of the 3DS version of the game, they were still both, you know, 2D, side-scrolling, fast-paced, uh, you know, platforming games. <laughs> I think most would say that that's when Sonic's at his best, so when you combine that with remixes of nostalgic levels from throughout Sonic's history that were completely distinct from the console version, you get one of the best Sonic games ever released on Nintendo hardware. You can never have enough Sonic on any console. <laughs> that is certainly an arguable point. <laughs> Next, coming in at 17, we have Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon. Basically, this took the concept established by the original Luigi's Mansion and just sort of cranked it up with more features and more mansions. It's always fun to take control of Luigi and go through a haunted mansion and get freaked out while trying to suck up ghosts. And yeah, this was a sequel that was long in the making, and it certainly paid off. It was a fine game for the folks over at Next Level. And speaking of Luigi, that brings us to number 16 on the list, which is Mario & Luigi Dream Team. Now, there are actually four Mario & Luigi games <laughs> on the Nintendo 3DS. Quite a few. And, you know, to be honest, I think we could have put any or all of them on this list, and that would have been totally fair. It's true. And this one came out during the year of Luigi. Yes, and that makes sense, because not only does the game feature Mario and Luigi in the traditional gameplay we expect from the series, but also dreamy Luigi when you enter the dream world. That leads to things like a Luigi army, and playing with Luigi's giant mustache, and even a massive, huge Luigi you control by turning the 3DS sideways. It's goofy, it's great, and it's proof you can never have too much Luigi. Two green thumbs up. <laughs> For sure. Alright, coming in at number 15, we have Metroid. Samus Returns. Yeah, this is a thorough remake of one of the most overlooked Metroid games. It takes the basic formula of Metroid 2 from the Game Boy and upgrades it with new weapons, new powers, new enemies, and new techniques. On top of that, it has some of the best stereoscopic 3D on the system. Yeah, I actually turned on my 3DS before this episode, and I gotta say, I was really still impressed with the 3D graphics. Like, there's nothing else that I own that gives me 3D visuals, and uh, Metroid Samus Returns totally highlights this. Yeah, it really hit all the right notes. Number 14, Kirby, Planet Robobot. Yes, for my money, the best Kirby game ever, to be honest. Wow, them's big words. Yeah, I mean, it's got all the traditional stuff you'd expect with Kirby, you know, sucking up enemies and getting the powers. But also, it's got his Robobot suit, and it's got its own transformation powers. And then sometimes, you only just get these shooter stages, and it looks beautiful, and the 3D is great. And, you know, as much as, you know, I liked Kirby Triple Deluxe, I felt that Kirby Planet Robobot just, you know, blew it out of the water. And, uh, yeah, it is still, I think, the standard when it comes to Kirby games. I agree. Number 13, Bravely Default. Yes, Bravely Default, an excellent and innovative RPG. Despite not being part of an already established RPG series, it really you know, set a great standard when it came to role-playing games on the 3DS. Very creative, lots of cool characters, lots of cool abilities, a very innovative and unique battle system, and some very cool twists when it comes to the story. Yeah, and overall, one of the best art styles on the 3DS, at least I thought, for an RPG. Yeah, that's very true as well. Number 12, Animal Crossing, New Leaf. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you can say that the Animal Crossing games don't really evolve that much with each entry in the franchise, but nonetheless, it kind of felt like this was more or less the ultimate Animal Crossing game. I mean, I enjoyed playing the game for many, many months on end, but I know people that have still been playing this game, like, ever since it came out. So, you know, practically every day for, like, you know, four years or something like that. <laughs> I mean, that shows just how appealing this game is. It's got all those activities, all these characters, you know, plenty of customization options. You know, it's really easy just to, you know, get very immersed in managing your town and trying to turn it into your basically ideal community. Yeah, combine that with all the 3DS features that, you know, are inherently built into the system. And it really allowed the Animal Crossing series to kind of thrive on this system. Yeah, I agree. It was great being able to go online and visit other people's villages. It was great being able to just collect all this stuff. Um, It was really well made in pretty much every respect, I would say. Yeah, even the uh, Street Pass features. Yeah, totally. Number 11, Super Smash Brothers for 3DS. Yes. I mean, it's Smash Brothers. It's portable. I mean, I guess now that we have the Switch version, it's like, okay, yeah, that's sort of old hat. But (laughs) when this game came out, it was very, very groundbreaking to basically be able to get, I mean, it's not 100% feature on par with the Wii U version, but it was pretty darn close. It had all the characters, it had its own unique backgrounds, and it gave you a fully featured, very robust Smash Brothers game in 3DS form. It's very, very impressive for what it did. Yeah, it was quite the undertaking for uh, Mr. Sakurai to actually try and attempt something like this, but uh, the fact that they did and it worked uh, is pretty amazing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they put in a ton of stuff, And it really paid off. I think that the single-player mode, in fact, in this version, is probably even better than its Wii U counterpart, I would say. Yeah, and I'd say that's probably no accident, just considering that they know that, uh, you know, the handheld version's probably going to be played more solo than uh, not. So... Yeah, I guess it certainly has that potential. I see what you're saying there. Yeah, pretty awesome to see them, you know, really flesh out the uh, single-player experience. All right, then. Moving on to number 10, we have Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney... Dual Destinies. This was the fifth entry in the Ace Attorney series, and it was sort of, you know, the first one on 3DS, and it brought back a lot of, you know, the classic things that people loved about this franchise. But what I love about this entry in particular isn't that it just brought back the old characters, but it also introduced some really, really great new characters. Uh, It made the series look better than ever, and it still had that uh, classic, compelling back-and-forth gameplay, you know, plus new play mechanics. It was really sort of the best all-around package you can get out of the Ace Attorney series. I object. Overruled. (laughs) Nicely done. Next, coming in at number nine, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D. Oh, boy. Well, there's not much you can't say about this game other than the fact that, you know, It is Ocarina of Time. It's probably one of the best Zelda entries. And on the 3DS, for some reason, you took a good thing and almost made it better. I mean, I feel like this was really maybe the definitive version of Ocarina of Time. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it definitely is. It does take an amazing, beloved game and pretty much makes it better. I mean, the only reason it's not higher on this list is that it is, you know, just, you know, quote unquote, a remake. But yeah, I mean, it's everything you'd want out of Zelda. It was a groundbreaking game, and this does somehow improve upon the original. So yeah, it is an absolute must-have. And I feel like this is one of the games responsible for, you know, 
the early success of the Nintendo 3DS. Yeah, absolutely. Moving along, we have Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater 3D. You know, the Metal Gear series really isn't that well known for having that many appearances on Nintendo systems. It's been overlooked in a lot of cases, but for whatever reason, they did make a 3D handheld version of Snake Eater, and it's one of the best games in the series, and they managed to port it remarkably, remarkably well onto 3DS. There's just so much you can do in the game. The stealth is fun. It has a ton of weapons. It has a great story. It has great characters. And then on top of that, it even has some exclusive features like hidden Yoshis in the game. And, of course, even a copy of Nintendo Power floating around somewhere in the title as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was sort of, you know, the handful of rare Metal Gear Solid games that are on Nintendo consoles. Exactly. But, you know, great nonetheless. And if you weren't able to play the original, this is a great way to try it. Yeah, it was really a thrill to see this ported over to 3DS. Indeed. Next, coming in at number seven, we have Pokemon Sun and Pokemon Moon. Or perhaps you could say Pokemon Ultra Sun and Pokemon Ultra Moon. Any way you look at it, we're talking about some of the most innovative, refreshing entries in the Pokemon series in a long, long time. I mean, Pokemon, you know, it's very, very iterative. It's always improving upon the previous games in the series. But this just felt like one of the most innovative entries yet, and that is what's made it rank so high on this list. Yep, I don't know whether it was the tropical theme aspect of it or, you know, just some of the new Pokemon they introduced. But honestly, I think Sun and Moon is probably one of the best entries into the series since the original. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you 100%. And uh, it definitely is a must-have on your 3DS, any 3DS library. Yeah, for sure. Next, coming in at number six, we have Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. Arr, I'll be having your booty now. Oh, will you? Mm, I see, I see. Yes, this game has pirates, it has exploration, it has cool abilities and zombies and chase scenes and dungeons and hidden upgrades and a big Metroid-style world spread out over numerous islands. It's also got fantastic characters, a great sense of humor, and some incredible 3D visual effects. Yar. <laughs> you can say that again. Number five, Fire Emblem Awakening. Yes, this was the game that kind of put Fire Emblem back on the map. It has a really, really strong story. It has some fantastic characters. Obviously, Lucina has proven herself to be a huge fan favorite. It introduced this time travel mechanic that allowed you to have this plot device of, you know, the kids of the characters you would pair up coming and visiting from the future. And it all just added up to a really, really fantastic strategy game experience. Yeah, it even sort of ushered in a new sort of art style around Fire Emblem. Not not dramatically different, but uh, definitely uh, just a nice refresh to the series in general. I mean, ultimately, I would say this game delivered on every front. It had great visuals, it had great music, it had great gameplay, it had great story, it had great characters. You really can't go wrong with Fire Emblem Awakening. Nope, if you're going to own any Fire Emblem game on the 3DS, this would be it. I would say, you know, if you're going to own any Fire Emblem game, period, this is the one. For me, it is still my favorite. Wow, yeah, yeah, I can't say I disagree. Okay, on to number four, Shovel Knight. Wow, yeah, this is the highest ranked uh, indie game on our list. Yes, it is. I mean, and coming at number four is no joke. I mean, 
this game, it's really well made. It is a fantastic action platformer, great 8-bit style. It just has a really cool, compelling gameplay hook. Uh, lots of cool levels to explore, lots of upgrades to get. It is you know, excellent on any system, but uh, you know, on 3DS especially, where it makes some great use of stereoscopic 3D, it is certainly one you want to have in your library. Yeah, bizarre that it started as a Kickstarter and it's still not totally done yet. <laughs> <laughs> nope, not yet. But yeah, this is a must-have for anyone who's into indie games. Or into action platformers at all, I would say. Right. Number three, Super Mario 3D Land. Yeah, it's definitely hard to go wrong with Mario. Obviously, we have had other Mario games on the list we've already talked about, but Super Mario 3D Land really, I think, makes the best use of the 3DS hardware. It isn't exactly 2D, it's not exactly full 3D like Mario 64 and that stuff, but it sort of takes the best of both worlds and established a new formula that worked really, really well in stereoscopic 3D and in handheld portable form. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And a lot of the level design really, you know, was designed around sort of these bite-sized levels where you can play them on the go. And I would say Super Mario 3D Land was probably a game worth owning a 3DS for in general. Yeah, yeah, I would certainly agree with that. It is, uh, I think, what you would call a system seller for sure. Okay, we are down to number one and number two. And coming in at number two, Mario Kart 7. Yes, at the time of Mario Kart 7's release, this was the definitive handheld Mario Kart. I mean, when the game came out, I would say it was, you know, the definitive Mario Kart game, period. <laughs> you know, it's not really what you would expect. You would kind of think, oh, it's just a handheld entry. But no, this game came out here and it was everything you would want out of a Mario Kart game, totally surpassing any other Mario Kart before it, whether you're talking about a handheld or a console. It just has everything you would want out of a Mario Kart game. Fantastic course design, great graphics, nice robust selection of characters, you know, adaptable parts for your vehicle. It was pretty much a complete package, and it is still a game I constantly carry with me just in case I run into another 3DS owner and they want to just play a quick game of Mario Kart 7. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure this is one of the first ones that allowed the ability to hang glide yep. as well as uh, drive underwater. Yes, it had lots of cool features that made it extra fun to play for sure. All right, that's enough Mario Kart. It's time for number one. The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. Yes, indeed. It might be a little predictable, but it's well-deserved because A Link Between Worlds is that darn good. It did an astonishing job of taking the series back to its top-down roots and revisiting many aspects of A Link to the Past, one of the most beloved games in the series, to bring back that classic overhead combat and puzzle solving, yet also add new tools, new nonlinear progression, new story elements, and of course the new ability to merge with walls to navigate the environment. They did a great job combining classic design with innovative new features, and it couldn't have turned out any better. Yeah, I really didn't know how it was going to turn out when they said that they were, you know, basically making a sequel to a game that was over 20 years old. Yeah, totally. Plus, it's like my all-time favorite game. So it's like, how can they follow up on that? Is that a good idea? Right. Should they just leave well enough alone? But, you know, it turned out that it worked really, really well. They did. And, you know, it elaborates on a lot of the, some of the ideas in, in the original uh, Link to the Past, mm -hmm. but kind of gives it its own spin. And it kind of lets you revisit Hyrule as you knew it in that game. Yeah, it really hits all those nostalgia buttons well on top of everything else. And that's why it's the top of our list. Yes, indeed. 
is a hotly contested list. There are lots of fantastic games for the Nintendo 3DS. There are even many more great games we were not able to fit on here. But, uh, you know, between you and me, Pete, I think we have done a pretty decent job of coming up with the definitive top three that everyone should be sure to check out. Well, I sure hope we did the Nintendo 3DS lineup justice. The system isn't quite gone, but uh, it will never be forgotten. I couldn't put it any better myself. Oh, wow. Thanks, Nemi. And with that said, I believe it's time for us to finish off this week's big topic and bring this week's show to a conclusion. However, before we go, we do have time for one more thing, and that is a dramatic reading. Ah, do tell. This time, it is the eShop description for the Nintendo Switch game My Jurassic Farm 2018. Amazing breeding simulation game. <laughs> you start with just a compsignathus, an empty field, and a few pennies. You have to feed your dino, take care of it, and improve its living conditions. If you give it plenty of fishes to eat, your dino will lay eggs that you can sell to the shopkeeper. In exchange, you can buy more animals at the farmer's fair. But be careful. If your compsignathus are not fed regularly, they will run off to find food somewhere else. <laughs> All your animals have to be fed, but they also need to be clean and healthy, and you will also have to clean the complete farm. <laughs> the aim of the game is to earn money by selling eggs and other farm produce in order to buy more animals at the farmer's fair, and items that improve your farm from the shopkeeper. Little by little, as your farm develops, you will unlock bonuses items and you will be able to customize all our dinos. Yeah. Ten kinds of cartoon animals. Compsignathus, Pterodon, Parasaurolophus, Velociraptor, Stegosaurus, Plesiosaurus, Triceratops, Diplodocus, Spinosaurus, and Tyrannosaurus. During days and nights, take care of your animals. Food, cleanliness, disease etc. <laughs> Sell your farm products to earn more money. Goals and events lead in a real adventure. Many farm improvements to unlock as incredible bonuses to collect. Well, this one wasn't as good as Panty Party. Well, few things are, but the thing I like about this one is how they just kind of treat dino raising as being totally normal. <laughs> yeah, totally. Also, I like how they just like keep doubling down on the comps nag this this. They just like what they say that like it's just a normal thing. <laughs> I know. I mean, here's the thing about this is that there are a whole bunch of these my farm games on Nintendo systems, right. and they all have basically the exact same description, only they like swap out the name of the animal. <laughs> so there's like my farm, my exotic farm, right. my Arctic farm. With just the animal name changed. <laughs> I mean, personally, if I were writing these, I would be like, oh, crap, you're raising a dinosaur. And it's going to run off and eat people if you don't take care of it properly. Right. But uh, <laughs> they're just like, you know, they just change the word chicken to <laughs> compsignathus or whatever. And this is what you end up with. <laughs> totally. There's a lot to like here, though. The, uh, the headline, Amazing Breeding Simulation Game. Well, that's uh, certainly 
something. You don't see that every day. It's also uh, interesting to note that My Jurassic Farm 2018 came out on Switch in March of 2019. <laughs> so it was uh, already a little out of there. But then again, you're talking about dinosaurs. They're millions of years old. So, you know, how are they going to change between 2018 and 2019? Probably not that much, I guess. Right. I also love every list that ends in etc. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Anyhow, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, the Hoff, on Twitter at Chris the Hoff, and you can find Pete at Burly Red Yeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Michaud. Ah, I'll buy it at a high price. And our sparring partner, Ribbon Girl. Love you guys! We will see you next time.